would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John. 1 John. 1 John is almost at the very end of the Bible, so if you're not sure exactly where it is, go to the back and kind of work your way left, and eventually you'll come to 1, 2, and 3 John, and we're looking at 1 John today. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 4, and last week we looked at verses 7 through 12, so we're picking up today in verse 13 and working our way down through the end of the chapter. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. John says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected. In love, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that. The very same Holy Spirit who is at work bringing these words to John, enabling him to write them down. The very same Holy Spirit who has been at work throughout history to preserve your word so that we might read it today would be present with us right now and that you would open our eyes and our hearts and that you would take the word through the work of the spirit and press it deeply into us, forming us, shaping us according to what it says. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the story is told that uh, one day Martin Luther finished preaching a sermon at his church. And as he did, a frustrated parishioner came up to him and asked him why he preached the same thing every Sunday. He preached the gospel of grace every Sunday. And the story goes that Luther responded by saying, it's because every week you forget it. Now, the truthfulness or the, uh, uh, the reality of that story is actually in question. Uh, it certainly is something that Luther would say. And it certainly goes along with things that he has said. It, it's similar to things that he said. But there's actually no official record in his writings or in the history around Martin Luther of that exact story being done exactly that way. But here is a quote from Luther in one of his commentaries. And listen to how similar it is to that story. The devil is ever on the alert to insinuate all kinds of wickedness into our hearts and would fain make them as cold as ice. 
where God's word is not repeatedly proclaimed in sermons, in hymns, in private conversations, so that we may not forget it or become callous toward it. There it is impossible for our hearts, which are burdened with many an earthly pain and sorrow, with wicked purposes and the devil's malicious instigations, not to fail and fall from Christ. Thus, it is an urgent necessity that the preaching of the gospel continue among us, that we may hear and retain it. Otherwise, we would soon forget our Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that frustrated parishioner. Didn't we just cover this? Didn't we just talk about the gospel of God's grace and love to us and the work and the person of Jesus Christ? Didn't we just talk about how God's perfect love for us, his people, is meant to cause us to be different, to, to respond in faith and to, and to love him and to serve him and obey him? Now, that's partly true because, yes, we did just cover it. Last week we talked about the first part or the middle part of chapter 4 and John was saying some very similar things. But it's also accurate because week in and week out we come to the scriptures and we come face to face with the gospel. It's not just that John is repeating himself, which he does over and over again to drive home his point, even as he does it today. It's also that we come to the word week in and week out and we hear the gospel of God's grace. And the truth is, brothers and sisters in Christ, that it is really hard for us to believe and to keep on believing in tangible ways that we are perfectly loved by our Father in heaven. The human heart says that we know that our hearts are fickle. That often our love changes. It's not dependable. And we know ourselves and we believe that we would never put up with the kind of unfaithfulness that we exhibit toward God. We have an inability and an unwillingness to believe the truth of the scriptures that in Christ we are perfectly loved by God. And when we fail to believe that that is true, when we fail to believe and know that that is true, it is often at that is our very root of so much that is going wrong in our own lives and in this world. And John understood the nature of the human heart of those that he was reading to. He knew that God's people needed to be reminded of the certainty of God's love. He knew that God's people needed to be reminded That knowing that we are loved by God must have an impact on how we live. And so he continued in his letter to his people. He wanted them to know and to believe the perfect love of God for them. And he wanted them to respond to that perfect love by having fear driven out of their lives and hatred driven out of their hearts. That's what we're going to look at today. First of all, what John says about God's perfect love for us. And then secondly, how that perfect love that God has for us must drive out fear and drive out hatred. So first of all, let's look and see what 
John reminds us of about God's perfect love for his people. You can see it in verses 13 through 16. John says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Three times in these verses, John says that God is abiding. He is dwelling with. He is loving his people. He says it in verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. He says it again in verse 15. Where he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And he says it again in verse 16, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. John is hammering home this idea that God is with his people. God loves his people. God abides with his people. And notice that he gives them the reason for why they know that that is true. What does he say in verse 14? We have seen and we have testified and we testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. We have seen we have we testify that is that we confirm we bear witness that the father sent the son to be our savior. That is what John is saying is that we know that the father has had a plan. A plan that his son would come into the world and redeem his people. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that the plan of the father was a plan from before the foundation of the world. I want you to think about the reality of that. Think about the significance of that. Before the universe was created, your father knew you by name. Before anything was created... Your father was planning your salvation before anything existed. Your father in heaven was making plans to be with you for all eternity. It's not just the work of the father that proves the love of God for us. But if you look at verse 14, it's not just that there was a plan, but the plan actually was fulfilled. The son came into the world with a purpose, with a goal to be the savior To give his life as a ransom for his people. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that the son knew before the foundation of the world those for whom he was dying. Think of the significance of that. Jesus Christ had you in his mind when he was born into this world. Jesus Christ... Had you in his mind as he lived a life of perfect love and obedience to his father for your benefit. Jesus Christ, when he was hanging on the cross, had you in mind and your sins put upon him. That's how you know God's perfect love for you is true because Jesus came to save and redeem you. 
John mentions another way that we know it. It's not just because the Father had a plan from before the foundation. It's not just because the Son came and fulfilled that plan by coming into the world and redeeming His people. But notice what he says in verse 13 is also true. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit. It is what Jesus promised in the Gospels. When I go away, I will send the Comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit who will be with you and who will be in you. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 1. And he said the Holy Spirit is given to God's people as a guarantee of our inheritance. Paul spoke about it also in Romans 8 where he says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Think of that, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been given a guarantee of our salvation. We have been given a guarantee of God's love for us. And what is that guarantee? It is nothing less than God Himself. The Holy Spirit. The guarantee of our salvation. God dwells with His people. God abides with us in love. God has a perfect love. And the reason that we know that that is true is nothing less than the eternal work of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for us. Notice what John says in in, in verse 16. He says, We have come... To know and to believe that God loves us. God is love, as we talked about last week. His very essence, His being, His character is love. And the God who is love has set that love on His people. The Father has had a plan to love you from before the foundation of the world. And the Son came to fulfill that plan by dying the death that we deserve to die and living the life that we were supposed to live taking our sins upon Himself and dying to pay for all of them. And then putting His righteous record, His righteous account to our account so that in Christ we are declared as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous. And then above all of that, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee and promise, a proof of God's love for us. The question is, have you come to know and to believe God's love for you? Did you see John uses both of those words in verse 16? We have come to know it. That means to understand it, to to know the facts of it, to know the details of it. But it's not just to know it. It's also that we have come to believe it. And believing it is more than just knowing that it's true. It is embracing it. There is a relational component to believing it. We can know pieces of information and it not make any difference in our life. But the sense of what John is saying here is that when we not just know God's love for us, but that we actually believe it, it changes us. It makes us different. Isn't that what John is saying at the end of verse 16? We have come to know and believe God's love for us. And as a result, we are moved to abide in that love. And as we abide in that love, we abide in God and God abides in us. That's a whole lot of abiding. It's actually one of John's favorite words. 
It shows up a number of times in his letters and even more times in his gospel, the gospel of John. That little word to abide means to remain, to to be true to another, to, to stay with a companion. To abide in God's love means to continue believing in God's love for you. To remain in God's love. To keep believing God's perfect love for you even when you don't feel it. That in those moments when you don't feel the love of God for you, the word of God and the truth of God's word is greater than your feelings. In those moments when you struggle against your sin and you you struggle and doubt God's love for you, you remember the truth of God's word and that is greater than your struggle and doubt. When the devil whispers in your ear, God could never keep loving somebody like you. You remember the truth of what God's word says and that is greater than the word of the evil one. Abide in God's love, knowing that it is God himself that abides in you. I want you to notice this is this is how John begins this section is by talking about this perfect love of God for his people, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Trinity at work from before the foundation of the world and applied into this world through the Lord Jesus Christ and given to us through the Holy Spirit's promise and guarantee of our inheritance. But that love, that perfect love of God is meant to change us. The perfect love of God for his people is meant to drive out fear. Isn't that what we read in verses 17 and 18? By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. It casts it out, John says. The word that he uses there means to force out, to drive out, to expel. The love of God for us is meant to drive out and expel fear. And notice it's not just any kind of love that can do it. What kind of love is it? It is a perfect love. That is the love of our Father. He's already talked about it. We talked about it last week. He, he mentioned in verse 10, it's perfect because it originates with God. We didn't love God first. He loved us. It's perfect because it was seen in the Father sending the Son into the world to die for our sins. Also in verse 10, we saw last week, it's perfect because it was manifested. It was revealed to us through the propitiating death of our Savior, Jesus. The, the turning away of God's wrath for us, the, the pouring out of God's wrath on Jesus so that we would never have to experience it. That's the perfect love that drives out fear. But what kind of fear does it drive out? Does it drive out every kind of fear? What is John talking about here? Does he have some specific fear in mind? Now, we, we know from the rest of the Bible that there are some good fears. We're, talk, we're, we're told that we are supposed to fear the Lord. That, that holy awe and reverence of the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. That fear of the Lord is not to be driven out. It's to be, uh, it is to be used by God's people to glorify and enjoy the Lord. So it's certainly not the case that John is saying every kind of fear to be driven out. 
What fear is John talking about? Well, what does he say in verses 17 and 18? Look a little bit more carefully. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for when? Confidence for the day of judgment. And and notice he goes on in verse 18 to talk about the fear of punishment. John is talking about a specific kind of fear here. He's talking about the fear that comes with meeting the creator of the universe when Jesus returns and having to give an account for our life. He's talking about the fear of being punished by God because of our sins. And John says that knowing and believing God's perfect love for his people is meant to cast out. It's meant to drive out. It's meant to expel the fear that we have of judgment when Jesus returns. And notice, it's not just supposed to drive out that fear. It's actually supposed to, as John says here, to give us confidence for the day of judgment. That we would actually approach Jesus' second coming, the judgment day, with confidence. Not because of us, but because of God's perfect love for us. It reminds us of... What we read in Romans 8 where Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If you are one of God's people, if you are a Christian, you have been elected before the foundation of the world by your Father. You've had your sins paid for in full by the Son who came into the world and died on the cross uh, to pay for your sins. And you have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your adoption into the family of God. As a child of God. So you have nothing to fear. There is no fear of punishment on the day of judgment. You will be welcomed as a child of God. So I just ask you do you struggle with this fear of judgment? Do you struggle with this, this fear of God's judgment, of God's punishment on you for your sins? And I would say that if you say yes to that and you know that you're not a Christian, That's actually God's grace to you. Because apart from Christ, apart from faith, apart from a relationship in Jesus Christ, judgment is a very real thing. So for you to feel that fear, God is being gracious to you and calling you to Christ. Know Him. Believe in Him. And know the freedom of the fear of judgment. But maybe you're here or you're online and you say, I am a Christian, but I know what that fear of judgment feels like. Then you need to hear what John says. The fear of judgment and punishment is not for you. In fact, God's love for you in Christ is meant to drive that fear out. How do you do that? How do you drive out the fear? How do you expel it from your mind and from your heart? What are are the things that you can be doing to, to increase your knowing and believing God's perfect love for you? What are the things that God has given to you to help you grow in your knowledge and your belief of the truth? Well, We talk about them so often. We call them the means of grace. The, the Word of God. Prayer with the Lord. Participating in the Lord's Supper and baptism. Worshiping the Lord. 
fellowshipping together with God's people. All of these wonderful blessings, these tools that God has given to us to help us to know and to believe his perfect love to us in the gospel. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not underestimate the work and the power of the Holy Spirit through the means of grace to strengthen our knowledge and our belief in the gospel. Before we move on to one last thing that God's perfect love is meant to do in us, let me just make a quick word to those who would think about God's love for them as a way, as as a free ticket, if you will, to sin without any kind of remorse or repentance. God's perfect love that drives out the fear of judgment is never meant to motivate us to sin. For us to sin freely and openly and boldly because we feel that we have this free ticket called the gospel, that's not abiding in God. It's actually a very dangerous place to be. The gospel of God's grace, God's perfect love to us in the gospel, God's kindness to us. The Bible tells us God's kindness to us. His grace is meant to move us to repentance. It is meant to move us to greater obedience and holiness, not the other direction. And so to sin without any remorse, without any repentance, to not lean and fight against our sin, but simply to just give in, that is not abiding in God. God's perfect love for his people is meant to drive out fear. Lastly, God's perfect love for his people drives out hatred. John is actually coming back here in verses 20 and 21 to something he said in verse 11. Look at, look at verses 20 and 21. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. He's really just coming back to what he said, uh, what we looked at last week in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we have been loved by God to this extent, if we, if we have been loved by God to this degree, then we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, he goes even a little bit stronger in verses 20 and 21. He says, if we say that we know and we believe in God's perfect love for us in the gospel and we hate our brothers and sisters in Christ, then that makes us a what? It makes us a liar. Why does it make us a liar? Well, what does he say here in these verses? He says, if we say we love and we serve God whom we have never seen which is harder than loving and serving a brother that we can see. If we say that we love God, the harder thing, then we should also do the easier thing of loving another human being. And so to fail in the easier thing, the easier task of loving another human being, it makes us crazy to claim that we can do the harder thing, which is loving God. Claiming to love God, John says, but not loving our brothers and sisters in Christ shows that we don't really love the Lord. And notice what John says in verse 21. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea for you to think about. This is a commandment. And where did we get this commandment? Well, we saw it last week in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And we talked about the fact that when the first century readers read those words, they knew clearly that John was giving them a command. 
Let us love one another, for love is from God. It's also what he said in chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another, he says. Or again, what we looked at last week in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And we talked about the fact that that word ought could also be translated obligate. We are obligated to love brothers and sisters in Christ because of God's love for us. And John's not just pulling all of this out of the air. He's just telling us what Jesus had said. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 22. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law. And the prophets. Last week we spent a little bit of time reflecting on what what would it look like for us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I suggested to you that the love that we have for other people, for other brothers and sisters in Christ, it should mirror the love that God has for us. It should be it should be based on that love. It should look like that love. And so we talked a little bit about what God's love for us looks like. And we talked about the fact that God's love for us is active. It is sacrificial. It is, it is free. It is persistent. And it is tangible. And so those are ways that we should exhibit love toward brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me give you another picture today of what our love for others should look like based on what God's love for us is like. Think about how John began, not his letter, but his gospel, the gospel of John. We read in the first chapter these words. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. What is full of grace and truth? John says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus' love for us as his people is full of grace and truth. And so for our love to mirror Jesus' love for us as we love one another, it should be filled with both grace and truth. Not just one or the other, but both. Not only being gracious, but speaking the truth. The truth of the word. Not only bringing the truth of God's law, sometimes we bring it like a hammer down on others, but also being gracious in the truth. Our love for others must have both. It must have gracious truth and truthful grace. So let me ask you, right here, right now, how do you need to apply that in this coming week? What should it look like for you this coming week to actually love brothers and sisters in Christ in both grace and truth? How do you need to be full of grace and truth this week as you love one another? How do you need to speak and serve with a gracious truth? How do you need to speak and serve 
with a truthful grace. I had quite a a treat this past week, a special opportunity this past Thursday afternoon. Uh, I got to take a trip into the woods uh, with our own Kent Keller. Uh, We were supposed to go on Friday, and you know what happened on Friday. We got snow and it got really cold. So we bumped our our trip into the woods uh, an afternoon earlier. It was still plenty cold out there. Uh, We went out into the middle of nowhere. It was a beautiful piece of God's creation that we walked in, filled with trees and an arm of the Zumbro River that worked its way through this property and plenty of wildlife that we never actually saw. We just saw the evidence of it uh, on the floor of uh, the woods that we were walking in. Now, we had a goal in this walk in the woods. The goal was that we were going into the woods to uh, find a couple hunting blinds that had been there for the hunting season and to pack them up and to hike them back out of the woods and to do it before it got dark. Well, we pulled up off of the main road onto a county road, and I think it was even a gravel road that we were on, and we pulled off that road and we drove into an alfalfa field. And when we drove into the alfalfa field off of the gravel road out in the county, I realized we're not in Rochester anymore. We weren't even in Manterville anymore. And just for a minute, just an inkling, I wondered, what have I gotten myself into? But then I reminded myself, I'm with Ken Keller, and he knows what he's doing. And he knows this property. And I truly believe that he's going to get us out of here before it's dark and before we would freeze to death. So there wasn't any fear that we were going to get lost. There wasn't any fear as we walked on a mostly frozen Zumbro River several times. There wasn't any fear as that we would get stuck and that we would be there overnight. There wasn't any fear because I knew and believed Kent knew what he was doing and he would get us out just fine. But it wasn't just about not having a fear about the end result of our walk in the woods. Because I also knew and I believed that I, that I should follow Kent. That I needed to go where he went. My knowledge, my belief of his ability and of his knowledge in, of the area had to be backed up with action. It wouldn't have been any good for me whatsoever if I said, I know that Kent can get us out of here. I believe that he knows this property. I know that we're going to get back to the car. But if I didn't follow him, I had to back up the belief with an action and actually follow him through the woods. And of course, everything worked out just fine. Although I do think I caught him looking at his GPS once or twice. (laughs) It's an imperfect analogy, but there's something similar to what John is telling us here today. We have come to know and to believe God's love for us. It has been demonstrated to us. It has been proven to us in the Father's plan from before the foundation of the world, in the coming of the Son into this world to accomplish that plan and to pay for our sins and to make us the children of God And it has been guaranteed with nothing less than the Holy Spirit. It is truly a perfect love that we have with the Lord. 
And because we know it, and because we believe that it's true, it must drive out the fear of judgment from our hearts and from our minds. And it also must move us to action, to drive out, to expel any hatred of our brothers and sisters in Christ. To drive us to love them with grace and with truth. Just like our Savior's love for us. Let's pray together. Father, I know that many of us here, many of us online, have grown up, spent many years hearing about your love for us. And we just confess that so often it does not make us wonder and be in awe anymore. We take it for granted. It doesn't move us. Father, forgive us for that. And I pray that today, this week ahead, that you would give us a new understanding, a a new appreciation for your love, your perfect love for us. As we see the work of the Trinity loving us from before the foundation of the world, loving us tangibly in the work of of our Savior and your Son and the promised Holy Spirit that is with us and in us. Father, we pray that you would shake us, that you would give us a sense of awe and wonder and amazement. And as a result of that, Father, we pray that you would move in us and that you would drive out and expel any fear that we have of that day when we will see you face to face. But also, Father, with that love that you have for us, cause us to have a similar love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.